You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today, we have a guest speaker. We're going to keep going in our uh, series in 2 Kings. So if you've got your Bibles, if you would, turn to 2 Kings chapter 6. 2 Kings chapter 6, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 23 today. This is God's holy word, starting in verse 8. So once, when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him, Thus he used to warn him, so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against Elisha, uh, or came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, "Please strike this people with blindness." So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. And Elisha said to them, "This is not the way, and this is not the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek." And he led them to Samaria. As soon as they entered Samaria, Elisha said, O Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. So the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the midst of Samaria. As soon as the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I strike them down? Shall I strike them down? He answered, You shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you've taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. So he prepared for them a great feast. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master. And the Syrians did not come again on raids into the land of Israel. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. Uh, Thank you this morning for your word. Thank you for this opportunity uh, that we have to, to hear your word. Uh, God, we pray that you would open our hearts to see and to receive what you want us to see and to hear this morning, that you would change us and shape us and mold us by what we hear for your glory, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, like I said before, we do want to remember where we are. So we're in First and Second Kings, and we want to remember what's the purpose of First and Second Kings. Well, First and Second Samuel show us, uh, God shows us how the kingdom came to be, how under King David, the kingdom of Israel uh, came to be. And in First and Second Kings, we see 
how the kingdom came to be divided, and ultimately how the kingdom was lost. We have 20 kings in Israel, and out of 20, zero do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And the 20 kings in Judah, eight out of 20 do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so that's 20% of the kings that are doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord. So if holiness is by works at this point, that's, a, that's miserable, right? They're failing miserably. And here in the middle of First and Second Kings, we have Elisha and we have Elijah and Elisha. And contrary to our thoughts and our preconceptions that God is short-tempered, especially in the Old Testament, uh, he's not just looking for someone to make a mistake so he can wipe them out. What we see here is that he's a faithful, compassionate God, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. And one example is right here in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 23. So look, we've got Elisha. What's happening in the story? Well, Elisha is he's giving uh, basically intel to the king of Israel. And he's saying, okay, hey, this king of Syria is going to try to capture you. He's trying to set a trap for you. And so watch out that you don't go to this town or don't go this route. And so this happens. And it's funny. It says in 2 Kings, it happens more than twice. So not once, not twice, but many times. Uh, and so you can, you can picture that uh, the king of Syria is getting upset. And it, it says it right here. He, he thinks, okay, once or twice, maybe I got the wrong route. Maybe I thought the king of Israel was going this way, but I had the wrong trade route. Or maybe I had bad intel. But after more than twice, there's something going on. There's, this is more than coincidence. And so he gets upset and he starts asking his advisors and saying, all right, we got to find who's the mole among us. Who's the traitor? I want them dead. And somehow, it doesn't say how, but one of the servants says to him, it's, it's not us, it's Elisha. Elisha, somehow he's, he's telling uh, the king of Israel, even what you say in your bedroom. And so the king says, well, let's find where Elisha is. And somehow they find, and Elisha's in Dothan. And so the king sends a large army to surround the city of Dothan. Now, Dothan was 125, 135 miles away from Damascus. So this is a long way. The king is serious about getting rid of Elisha. Now, Dothan was uh, on a plateau. uh, And so in the morning... Now, first of all, this servant, it says the servant, let's remember this isn't Gehazi, because Gehazi, as we heard a couple chapters ago, or back in chapter 5, has leprosy. And so there's a new servant of Elisha. He's a young man. And he gets up early in the morning. He's probably doing his Bible reading. He's got his coffee and his baklava. And he goes out there and he looks out the window and he he spits out his coffee, chokes on his baklava and runs to Elisha and says, what, what? We're doomed. We're surrounded. There's, there's an army everywhere. And look at Elijah's response. The servant says, what do we do? Elijah says, Elisha says, what do we do? We should trust the Lord. We should not fear. We should remember Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 3 and 4, which says, And as you draw near to the battle, the priest shall come forward and speak to the people and shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, today you are drawing near for battle against your enemies. Let not your heart faint. Do not fear or panic or be in dread of them. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. And then Elisha prays that the servant's eyes would be open. And God answers that prayer and opens the servant's eyes. And he sees all around the horses and chariots of fire of the Lord. And then what do we expect to see next? Well, probably what we expected to see a long time ago to the people of Israel. If God is who people often accuse him of, 
especially in the Old Testament. We expect to see Elisha pray and the armies of Syria just get wiped out. Or at least they'd be driven into confusion and start attacking each other until they killed one another. But look what happens in verse 18. And when the Syrians came down against them, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. Okay, all right, so far it's keeping with our uh, expectations, right? So uh, Elisha prays, they're struck with blindness, and then we say, okay, and then they're going to fight each other, right? Well, no, what does he do? He, he leads them to Samaria. And Samaria is the capital city of Israel. This is where the king of Israel would have been with a large army. And Elisha delivers the Syrians right to the king's doorstep. And Elisha prays that the Syrian army's eyes would be opened and uh, and they open and they're there in the midst of the king in Samaria. And what do we expect to happen? Right? Maybe now you're like, okay, now I know what's going to happen. He's going to bring them here. Their eyes are going to be open. And then the king's going to wipe them out. And the king says, he's super excited. He says, Elisha, should I kill them? Should I kill them? And look what Elisha says in verse 22. He says, he answered, you shall not strike them down. Would you strike down those whom you've taken captive with the sword and with the bow? He says, no, we're not going to strike them down. The king feeds them. Elisha has the king feed them. The king of Israel puts on a feast for them and lets them go. Much like chapter 5 when Elisha refuses the gift of Naaman, here God is saying he's powerful enough, he's wealthy enough that he doesn't need to kill the Syrians They're not a threat to the Lord and to his plans. And he's trying to show the Israelites something about himself, namely that although God is particularly patient and faithful to his people Israel, his mercy and his kindness will not be limited to and is not exclusively just for the people of Israel. God is merciful to the widow of Zarephath and to Naaman, the commander of the Syrian army. And here, God is merciful even to the Syrian army. So what? Again, we're, we're short here. We've got a short amount of time. How does this Old Testament story apply to our lives today? Well, it depends on where you put yourself in the story. So if you're a typical Christian or you're a typical churchgoer, you probably identify with and put yourself in the story in Elisha's shoes. Then we get messages and books and songs and sayings and postcards talking about our call not to fear because we're surrounded by angel armies. But I have a news flash for you, Walter Cronkite. You're not Elisha in the story. At best, you and I are the scared servant boy who nearly wets himself with fear early in the morning surrounded by the enemy. In actuality, you and I in the story are the Syrian soldiers, enemies of God, struck with blindness, with confusion, unable to understand God or even to pursue him, destined for death. But thanks be to God, that's not the end of the story. That's not how this story ends, and that's not how our story ends. Just as Elisha prays for God to open the eyes of the blind soldiers in this story, Jesus prays to the Father and opens our eyes by the Holy Spirit to see him and to love him. Just as Elisha didn't wipe out his enemies and make use of the chariots of fire available to him, Jesus, fully God and fully man, refused to make use of his power in striking the guards dead or even blind when he willingly allowed himself to be arrested. 
Just as Elisha commanded the king of Israel not to kill the Syrian soldiers but to feed them, Jesus, through his death on the cross and his powerful resurrection three days later, commands death not to touch his people ultimately. And Jesus delivers us not to death but to dinner. Not to be killed but to be cooked for. Not to final destruction but to a feast. Listen to what Raymond Dillard says of this passage. He says, put yourself in a moment. Put yourself for a moment in the place of the Aramean soldiers. That's the Syrian soldiers. Imagine opening your eyes after a period of terrifying temporary blindness to find yourself surrounded by enemy troops in their own capital city. The siege of Dothan had been reversed, and now the Aramean soldiers were surrounded. Their best hope was probably for no more than a merciful, speedy death. Instead, they were treated with respect and hospitality. They enjoyed a banquet in the presence of their enemies and were returned to their homeland. This event gives us a glimpse of the day when Jew and Gentile will sit down at banquet together. A banquet spread for all peoples, Isaiah 25, 6. Similarly, when a Gentile, a Roman centurion, showed great faith, Jesus saw in him an anticipation of a day when many will come from east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 8, 11. And he says, O Lord, bring us to that banquet, we pray. Do you hear this? Do you know this? You and I are not treated as our sins deserve. You and I are not just spared. Hallelujah, we are forgiven and we are brought to feast as friends and family with God Almighty through the finished work of Jesus. And now, just like the servant boy, if we're with Christ through faith, we need not fear. We need not be afraid because we are with the one who is surrounded by angel armies, with the one who commands the angel armies. So what do we do? How do we apply this in our last few minutes together? I think there's two things that we do. First of all, put your faith in Christ. So there's a war in this story, and there's a war for your soul, dear friend. The enemy has struck this world with blindness, as we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Not a physical blindness, but a spiritual one. The people in this world cannot see the truth of the gospel unless the Holy Spirit opens their eyes to see it. If you've not put your faith in Christ, if you're not currently trusting in Christ today and him alone to make you right before God, this is you today. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would open your eyes to see the Father's love for you. His love demonstrated on the cross of his Son for you. Let us pray for grace, if we have believed this, to be ambassadors of this message. Let's support those who proclaim this message, like Dave and Stacey here. So first, faith in Christ. And second point of application is to not fear. Listen to Romans 8, 31, 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Where are you tempted to fear? Think about that thing for a moment. Think about that thing that you're tempted to fear. Is it your health? What is that fear really? Is it a fear of death? Is it a fear of losing control or autonomy? Is it a fear of losing your identity? Do you fear the future? Do you fear losing a loved one? Maybe losing a loved one who at the moment doesn't know Christ. Do you fear your work being in vain? Do you fear that you've messed up too many times for God to love you? Whatever that thing is that you're tempted to fear, the answer is found in Christ. Is it health? Christ can heal you. But if he doesn't, he will one day give you a new resurrection body that will not see pain or decay. Is it a fear of the future? Christ holds the future in his hands. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Do you fear losing a loved one? His sheep know his voice. Christ can save even the one who seems the farthest from him. Run to Christ in your fear and ask him to save that loved one and to help you trust him. Do you fear your work? being useless. Trust that God will accomplish all his will. His word will not return void. He works all things according to the counsel of his will to the praise of his glory. Do you fear that you've messed up too many times, that you are too far out of the reach of God for him to love you? The Israelites weren't too far from God's mercy. Even the Syrians were not too far. Do you think you are? Jesus says all that the Father Uh, has given him, he will not lose. And if you are trusting in Christ today, he will not lose you. We're not Elisha in the story. Christ is. Let us cling to Christ through through faith and let us hold fast to the one who holds fast to us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church. To receive future messages, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or listen online by visiting our website at gracechurchfrisco.org.